Hi, and welcome to Serenity Now, a place for entrepreneurs to ask questions, learn, get connected, and be inspired. Join us as we talk about all things business and the search for the ever elusive Serenity Now in both business and personal life. In this episode, we are joined by Tess Menges of the Office of Small and Medium Sized Enterprises who helps us break down what it takes to become a supplier of the Canadian government. We'll explore what volume of opportunities there are out there. On average, I see about 700 opportunities posted on our website on a daily basis with a range of stuff we buy. There will be one that's right for you. How startups can participate in bid for contracts. Government has a ton of programs that what I would say would be support kind of the research and development and earlier stage funding in in the innovation space. And what does TESS mean by this? Companies believe um, or think that they can submit to us and that there's this period after the bid closes where while we're doing an evaluation that we can go seek clarity or we can ask them questions. So people don't always give us a complete picture when they need to. Finally, what tips does Tess share about looking at bid opportunities? So the first thing you want to do when you're deciding if this is the right opportunity for you is actually go through and find the mandatory criteria in the document. Learn more about the fascinating world of government procurement and how businesses like yours successfully secure contracts. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of Serenity Now for Entrepreneurs. I'm Stephanie Sang, and I am joined by a group of amazing women today um, who will be able to provide some insights on a topic that I've always had a little bit of curiosity on, government procurement. And I know the words government and procurement already sound a little bit scary, but we're going to demystify that for you today. Um, So I'm going to actually have um, our resident uh, banking expert and finance expert, Rita, tell us um, a little bit about who she's invited to the show. Rita? Hello, and welcome to another episode. I've got Tess Menges here with us today. And if, if you could picture a government worker um, do not put her into that box or peg or square hole or anything. She is absolutely the opposite. I met Tess quite a number of years ago um, through various um, events and such. And then at one point, I had been uh, interested in looking at government procurement for a brand new company and ended up with uh, a connection with Tess. She had helped us through an incredible process with great follow-up and just wanting to learn more and add support, uh, you know, through the growth process of the company. And I thought it would be great to meet somebody who's working for the government, but really here to help us as entrepreneurs to move forward. So welcome, Tess. I thought I'd let you share just a little bit about your current role right now. Thanks, Rita. So yeah, I I do try to not be, I guess, your typical government person, but our whole office is set up to to support small businesses, and so we we try to do what we can for that. Um, The focus of our office is really to assist with government procurement or government purchasing. So anything to do with selling goods or services to the federal government, that process is 
lengthy and complicated and it's our job to assist small businesses in in understanding that whether they decide to proceed or not we judge both of those as a success as long as you have the ability um, and the information to make that decision so it's our role to really do anything related to the procurement process and to assist a small business with that and to that end Tess you've been with the government for quite some time now haven't you and I think you've done a few different roles so you've got some great background and insight how many years have you now been working through this I've been here 13 years uh, the majority of the time with the same department, so the Purchasing Department, which is now Public Services Procurement Canada. Um, I started with the Office of Small and Medium Enterprises, and then I decided that if I was going to be supporting small businesses and, and helping companies with the procurement process, I would like to be involved in the other side of things and actually doing the government procurement process. So I went on to join some of our um, national commodity groups that don't sound very exciting but we buy printer products for the whole country um, or general what we call commercial acquisitions so purchasing kind of any services or goods that other departments need did that for a while came back to osme which is kind of my home and, and what i like to do in, in assisting suppliers and then i had the opportunity to go and work for the national shipbuilding secretariat which was located here on the West Coast, and that was a $12 billion contract that was given to C-SPAN as part of a 30-year kind of plan. So I was there in the beginning assisting um, C-SPAN and government with that relationship and managing some of those contracts. Then came back to OSME, um, and then I went over to Western Economic Diversification for a little bit and wanted to see what grants and contributions were like and the difference between that and government procurement and now I'm back in OSME. Okay so just to clarify acronyms uh, OSME what does that stand for so we we don't have to be afraid of that acronym. We could do a whole podcast on acronyms <laughs> only. Some of our meetings are, are acronyms only. Um, OSME is Office <laughs> of Small and Medium Enterprises so that's, that's the name of our specific office or regional. Um, I'm located in Vancouver, but we also, my colleagues cover the rest of Canada. So our goal is to be accessible and, and there for suppliers in whatever part of Canada they need support in. So I think based on this background, everybody should probably feel fairly comfortable with Tessa's experience, her background, her knowledge, and the team that runs straight across Canada in the ability to support entrepreneurs at all stages uh, of this process. Love it. Um, so we love the format, and all of our listeners know this, of telling a story that may present some challenges and then what are the outcomes? And sometimes it's success and sometimes it's failure, but there's always some lessons learned in the process. So we asked Tess to um, develop, you know, just kind of prepare a couple of um, stories of her experience in working with small businesses. We thought it would be a good way to draw that connection 
between how government procurement could be applicable to small businesses um, and the services and the products that small businesses in Canada uh, can go after. And really, in any other country, I'm sure they have the equivalent of an OSME or at least Procurement Canada um, and Procurement US, like whatever country you're from. And so I'm going to have Tess, um, if you're okay with it, if you could tell us a little bit about how an organization that you had helped was able to understand a little bit more about government procurement and um, how they went through the process with you. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more? Yeah, um, one that comes to mind is, is a very recent one um, that pivoted slightly during, during the pandemic, but um, really the approach she took can be applied to contracts that are awarded through our normal procurement process, not just related to the pandemic. So um, in the pandemic, we were using something called a national security exception to do our contracting. And all that really means is that we either don't post an opportunity because we don't have time and we will directly award it, or we will post an opportunity, but it'll be posted for five days, maybe 10 days, as opposed to our usual 45, 50, 60 days. So it means that companies have to move very fast in order to be able to respond to these opportunities. And this one company had not done government procurement before. She attended one of our seminars, learned some of the basis, and then she found an opportunity on buyandsell.gc.ca. She reached out to our office right away and kind of said, what, what's the next steps I should take? What is the process? I want to compete in this. This supplier was already very experienced in the textile industry and was pivoting to make masks and gowns, which is something she hadn't had experience with, but it was the same kind of industry. So she found the right opportunity. Uh, there was a bidders conference, which is something where the, the buyers come out and kind of answer questions and explain the opportunity. So she attended that, um, asked a whole bunch of questions at that event so that she could get the clarification she needed. And then she also followed up with our office and had a meeting to go through the process and what she could expect from bidding on this tender what were the important things she needed to follow, what were deadlines she couldn't miss. And the thing that I really liked about her was she took very detailed notes at our meeting and she sent them back to me and wanted me to confirm that she understood the process. So that really showed that she did get what was happening, what her next steps were, and she was solely focused on that tender opportunity. She said, there's more I want to do, but I want to talk about that down the road. So she really had all her energy put in to that one opportunity. Um, another thing that really impressed me by her was at the end when it closed, she mentioned that she asked 34 of the 35 total questions that were asked. So to me, that shows that there was a lot of confusion, but she got all the clarification that she needed before she had to submit a tender. So those were really good indicators to me that she was on the right track. She kept in contact. She, you know, she messaged after and she, she was successful with, with her bid and she was awarded a contract. And since then, she's applied on, on various other opportunities and is in various stages in, in contracting with us. But she knew her industry. She knew that she had found the right opportunity for herself. 
and then she went for it. Amazing. So, I mean, this is, you know, obviously during the pandemic, things are going a lot faster. Everyone's kind of scrambling to ensure that uh, the country is safer and, and we have supplies. Um, but generally, does the Canadian government prefer that products are made here in Canada? Is that a consideration um, that sometimes organizations should expect? Like you mentioned, this other um, company that you work with is in textiles. I think textiles is a challenging industry in Canada to upkeep. Um, test, one of my questions is, is there a preference? Uh, the answer is it depends. <laughs> so that, I guess that's a very government answer. But... Um, each requirement is subject to different trade agreements that the government has entered into, and we have to follow those. And those dictate whether we can add what we would call Canadian content to our procurements. And um, I believe, if, if it wasn't the one she competed on, it was another mass tender where we actually did apply Canadian content and say it had to be made locally um, because of sourcing issues during a a global pandemic, um, we knew we wouldn't be able to get things from overseas. So it really does depend on the tender, but the main thing is Government of Canada can apply Canadian content in a variety of ways. And it means that our purchasing can actually be opened up to more of a diverse supplier base um, and we can kind of limit who's able to supply by using our Canadian content. Yeah, Rita, you've got a question. I was going to say, I'm curious. So she sent 34 out of the 35 questions that were asked. That's fantastic. And it obviously means she did her work, uh, her homework in this process. What was the best question you received from her? So if I'm going to be getting ready to put something forward, what what's one of the key questions that you thought was fantastic uh, to put forward? So actually, I don't receive any of those questions. So I don't know what she asked. I could I could look it up in, in some historic information. But she actually asked those questions directly to the buyer. Um, and so she would be asking questions related to mandatory criteria, shipping details, delivery dates, things like that to get the clarification she needed, especially during a global pandemic if we say, goods need to be delivered by this date and everyone knows that shipping is you know no guarantees right now her question may have been what happens if my shipment is late or something along those lines um, so I don't I don't actually know her her questions that she asked the contracting authority but I think the main point is that in our tenders there's always going to be confusion and there's always going to be things that you want to ask or you want to understand better and you have a limited window during that question period for you to communicate with the buyer and get that clarity that you need. Hey, awesome. I'm going to just maybe ask um, a little bit more about typical challenges, right? Because here's this opportunity and it's out in the public, everyone can see it. Uh, so there's a lot of companies that are, might be local, but overseas. What are some of, I mean, if I, I know there's probably a lot of different challenges, but if you were to kind of pinpoint specific challenges that companies, when they're in the bidding process or understanding them, what are some of the core questions that you tend to get? I think the main question we get is about the requirements and the mandatory requirements and companies 
companies believe um, or think that they can submit to us and that there's this period after the bid closes where while we're doing an evaluation that we can go seek clarity or we can ask them questions. So people don't always give us a complete picture when they need to because really that's, you know, you have one window as a company to get the clarification you need and then your proposal has to represent everything that we have asked for in our tender document and we're really only interested in what we're asking for. We're not interested in the other stuff about your company, the great work you've done on other projects. If we say that we want to know about two projects related to a time that you delivered a course in English and French, we want you to be concise and we want you to tell us only about those two projects. We're not going to give you extra points if you tell us about three or four projects that you've done. It's really about following all those kind of questions that we're asking and not going beyond that. It's funny because uh, my background is a grant writer. Often I'm like writing stuff for the government is not like writing an exam in school. It's not if you fill out 80% of the answers, you have 80% correct and you're good to go. It's if you get one blank that's in there that's not filled out um, and it might be a mandatory one and it wasn't just a technical hiccup and you deliberately just skip the question because you're like, I don't know what this answer is. It's okay, I'll bypass it. That that could mean getting things thrown out. Sounds very consistent there. Candice, you had a question. So I'm completely unfamiliar with the whole procurement process. I, I am an accountant, but I don't have a lot of um, clients that uh, that participate in this, and or if they do, they haven't told me about it. And so I'm I'm intrigued by this point system. It kind of like Stephanie was saying, you know, that it kind of reminds her of an exam, but uh, it it definitely does remind me of my CPA exam days, where they give you you have to get mandatory points. Um, so maybe you can explain how this point system works. Like, is it like, you know, like you get points for applying? Like, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you don't get points for applying, I guess, but <laughs> you have to apply to get the points. Um, and so the, the way it works really is that every opportunity is going to have mandatory criteria. It doesn't matter what we're buying. We're going to have mandatory criteria you have to meet all of those mandatory criteria before we look at anything else in your proposal. So the first thing you wanna do when you're deciding if this is the right opportunity for you is actually go through and find the mandatory criteria in the document. You can use Control F, you don't need to read our 60 page document. You need to find the mandatory criteria and answer those and answer all of them. Like Steph was saying, it's not good enough to answer five of the six mandatory criteria. You need to answer them all, and you need to answer them in a way that shows that you have met them. So you can't just say, I can fly a plane, right? I can say I can fly a plane. Who wants to come in the plane with me? I don't think anyone does right now. But if I show I got my pilot's license 20 years ago, and I've flown, you know, small planes and big jumbo jets, et cetera, and have this many passengers, that's showing that I actually meet that criteria. So that's the first step. We then go on and we have point rated criteria. And when we use point rated criteria, we tell you that an answer that has this included is gonna give you four to five points. 
an answer that has this included is only going to give you two to three points and an answer that has this is going to give you one point. So we're very upfront about how you can score the maximum amount of points. We also tell you how many points you need overall in order to move on. So you can quickly assess, okay, am I only really at one or two points for everyone? That's not the right opportunity for me. Or am I pretty confident that I can show that I'm, you know, three, four, five for the majority of them, and then I can move on and proceed. So it's, it is all given to you up front, but it's really, if you're going to look at anything in the document, look at the mandatory criteria first. That should take you, you know, maybe 30 minutes, and you know if you should bid on this or not. Reminds me a lot of reading tax legislation and teaching <laughs> tax legislation. It's all <laughs> you government. You have to pay attention to all the ands and all the ors. <laughs> yes, I, so for, for procurement, you have to pay attention to the must, shall, should, needs, all those differences in that, that wording. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I was just going to say it reminds me of my kids like Rubik when he does an assignment and it's like if you answer, if you can tell us some vocabulary, you get one point. And if you can give a, you know, detailed paragraph about this and he, you know, would bring it back to me and be like, mom, does this look like I'll get five points or two points? And I'm like, dude, if you don't know, you're not writing what you need to write. So um, it se seems like that is also, you know, on the scoring side of things, that's really interesting as well. Um, Okay, let's go on to the next uh, example that you have because I know that I've seen a lot of different opportunities to do with innovation in Canada. Like I know that the Canadian government is really supportive of innovative companies here. We've got a lot of resources uh, by way of tax credits that Peggy's involved with and grants that I'm involved with. And, and so we see a lot of that happening. Um, I love that the Canadian government has these programs because it really shows, you know, we're confident in Canadian innovators coming up with products that we could use at the government level. And if we can, we want to buy local, so to speak. Um, Tess, maybe I'll give you a chance to go through the second example that you brought. Um, and we can chat a little bit about the differences between that, um, you know, that company and the one that you just explained to us earlier. Yeah, so, yeah, government has a ton of programs that what I would say would be support kind of the research and development and earlier stage funding in, in the innovation space. Procurement is a bit trickier with the innovation space because typically our procurements say, show us how this works, show us examples of, of what you've done in the past, which doesn't necessarily allow for innovation. Uh, but there are some newer programs that, that have come out, not even newer because one has been around, changed over the course of time, but it's been around for probably 12, 12 years now. So it's, it's getting up there. Um, but one of the suppliers that I met with, um, she was talking to me about our innovation program, which at the time was called the Build in Canada Innovation Program. And she was looking to apply for her um, language service that she offered and she had some some new ideas around that and so we talked for a number of months and then in the end that didn't quite work out for her that program kind of morphed but a few months later I saw an opportunity through the ideas program which is run through Department of National Defense so another acronym uh, innovation defense excellence and security comes out to ideas 
Um, and it was for the Canadian Armed Forces was looking for um, a quicker way for language acquisition and retention. Um, and so I sent her that opportunity and she, you know, we had a few meetings to go over that and, and the process. And one thing she said that she really liked about the ideas program was how straightforward it was. So procurement is not necessarily always straightforward and simple. The ideas program was really kind of the problem statement and then very short places where you respond and actually what they do is they get you as the company responding to write the statement of work. So you're actually writing the statement of work if your project gets approved. And so we had a few meetings and she again needed to understand the process and you know she came she came at it with some different different experiences and wasn't familiar with um, government and she wanted to bring a lot more of her experience into her proposal. So I kept having to remind her, like, focus on what questions being asked and, and how you can respond. Uh, in the end, she, she submitted, I would say, with a few minutes to the deadline. Um, but she got it in on time and she was successful. So the first step in that program is up to $200,000 in funding, which, which she received to develop her innovation. And she will then go on to the next round of that program. Um, which can be up to, I believe it's about $1.5 million um, to further her development um, and, and continue on with that project. And then the last stage will be leading into a procurement through Department of National Defense. Wow, that's quite the success story. Um, sounds like this company may also be a little bit smaller if they're kind of at this prototyping stage. It doesn't sound like they had already had necessarily something in commercialization. Do you know what stage they were at when they kind of started working on the ideas program? They were, so we can use, uh, it's a government thing again, but it's a technology readiness level or solution readiness level. It's a scale from one to nine that says one is I have a idea on a napkin and nine is I'm I'm selling to the market and at the time she applied she probably was around a, a three with her with her innovation so they did have something um, but you actually need to be very early on to apply for the the ideas program for these challenges and then they want you to work through that scale and eventually get to the nine and the other thing is that we want you to develop this, but government doesn't actually want the rights. We don't want to own the IP or anything. So we support companies in, in that development, but we don't want to keep the IP rights because we want you to be able to go and sell to you know private industry, other countries, whatever it may be. Amazing. So um, Rita, did you have a question about this one? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the programs I was working with Tess on, and she was absolutely brilliant with her follow-up and thoroughness here. Uh, one of the questions that might be out there is, you know, you said you've got $200,000 available to develop your idea. So is there allocation of funds to specific items or key areas for the focus of the business? Or can I just deploy it all and say I need to hire an engineer and the cost for the engineer is 175000 I'm sure that all of that gets developed out, but maybe just some sort of an understanding of 
um, you know, some of the deployment of the funds in the initial idea stage of the project. What can I use this for? It's pretty much up to you what you use it for, but you have to determine that when you're submitting your proposal to the program. So that's really, that's the whole proposal that you're submitting. The program is putting out a challenge. In this case, it was increased language, the rate at which a soldier can learn a language and retain a language. That was the challenge. And then it's up to you to say how to do that, how much it's gonna cost. They are gonna give you the maximum, so it has to be under 200,000. Whether you spend 10,000 to do it, or you spend 195,000, it really doesn't matter. But you justify those costs and you come up with how you're gonna spend those costs. So if you wanna spend them on an engineer, go for it. If you want to spend them, um, you know, hiring 10 staff to, to work through this, if you wanna purchase technology to adapt, it is really up to you to develop that project plan. Okay, uh, Peggy, you had a question? More of an observation, I just, as we're talking, I'm looking up the uh, website and I just want to make note that in the summer of 2021, there's a green heat, low carbon energy generation for heating existing buildings. That's the current uh, program that's out there in this area. And if anyone's interested in that, they should look into it because it's obviously sounds like a great way to uh, take your innovative ideas to fruition. And that one is actually the first of a new, I'm going to say box under the ideas program. So I've talked about really the challenge aspect of the ideas program. The green heat is what's called a test drive. And so it's later stage companies. So it's companies on that scale again, that are kind of six, seven, eight, nine. So you have something, but you know, you might need to work out some of the kinks or it might still be in beta form. That's what they're looking for. And they're open to any type of solution to have um, the Department of National Defense building upgrades so that they're on whatever kind of green heat you propose. And because it's with Department of National Defense, what they're doing with the one Peggy found is an advanced procurement notice. So they wanna ensure that everyone who has a solution is eligible to compete so they're saying, get your security clearance now, get the prep work done before we actually put out the opportunity in the summer so that you can be as prepared as possible and give us the best proposal when the time comes. Wow, so it's almost like a preview and ensuring that everyone has their ducks in a row. I love it. Um, okay, so um, I think what we're gonna do, we love this quick fire, you know, kind of, best practices or things that you just wish, like if you pick three to five things that you just wish people need to know if they're interested in procurement, what would those be? So just real quick what they are and maybe a little description as to why. Question period during any procurement process, figure out when it closes so you can ask the right questions. Open up the e-post conversation early on, as early as possible in the bidding process. So you are not doing that two minutes before you want to submit your bid and no one accepts your, your request and therefore you can't submit a bid. Find an opportunity that is right for you. Don't try to make the opportunity right for you. What I loved about that first supplier is she knew 
exactly that she had found the tender and that it was the one for her to compete on. On average, I see about 700 opportunities posted on our website on a daily basis with a range of stuff we buy. There will be one that's right for you, so don't, don't try to force it. Know what your approach is, so know how you're going to approach government contracting. Know if you want to do low dollar value. Know if you want to be part of our supply chain. Maybe you don't want to contract directly with us, but know what you want to do in terms of government contracting. And then I guess I've lost count, um, but contact us. Like that's, that's really the biggest message is whether or not we have a five minute conversation or an hour long conversation to help you determine approach, process, and if this is right for you now, or this might be right for you in three years or five years or six weeks, but we can help you with all of that. I love it. And so I'm just going to do quickly a few key tips that I heard is make sure that you answer the question. Don't just skip it. Don't just answer it part way. Don't answer it with all the bells and whistles of all your experience in life when all they're asking is, do you export to this country? We don't need to hear all that. Um, read the mandatory requirements. Make sure that you understand the terminology of must, shall, should, needs you know, things, those are key words that people should be looking at. Um, and then the biggest step at the end that I wrote down also was to reach out to OSME because um, just even the example of the ideas um, company where they, they had a bid for it, you saw that this was an opportunity and you also shared it with them because you knew who they were and because they had a conversation. And so you want government, um, you know, resources on your side if they can also be an extra set of eyes for you to help you determine hey i saw something like this take a look at it what better way of having you know some additional vouch of confidence to say someone's looked at this already and uh, they know my company and i should look a little bit deeper into it okay so i wanted to thank you tess so much for joining us today I've learned a lot. I know that I went when I went through a bidding process, like during the pandemic as well, um, it was just really hard to even find recorded webinars of procurement related like OSME and there's a bunch of different acronyms to do with procurement as well. And so I think that this uh, particular um, and the series that we're going to be doing in, on government procurement is really going to be really helpful. I would like to ask Tess a question just before we close if possible. Sure, go ahead. Okay, Tess, um, it was great learning a little bit about your office and the resources you have. You mentioned seminars, and I was just wondering if a company is coming to you and they have questions regarding a certain bid, you put them in touch with the buyer and explain how they can ask questions specific to that bid, but what question can they ask your office? Can they come to you and just ask, is there any bids for my company? Where do you see there being a fit? And what sort of seminars do you offer companies that have no knowledge about government procurement? So I, I would say companies can really ask us anything and it's my role to say whether that is a question that should go to the contracting authority, the buyer, or whether that's a process question that I can answer. But generally, we're here to assist with the process. Uh, we don't know the specifics of every tender, which is why we refer you on to that buyer so that they can give you the accurate information about that specific tender that you're bidding on. Um, we do seminars on 
ones like our introductory one is doing business with the government of Canada. So it's really to help people understand government buys stuff. We have a website that we post our procurement opportunities on or we buy through a low dollar value procurement process. We then build on that and we explain how to use the buy and sell website in another seminar so you can maximize how you search. You can search using um, a code that's associated with everything we buy so you get the right results. You can set up profiles so that you get emailed the results. And then we also have a seminar on bidding on opportunities. So that's going through kind of the, the six parts plus annexes of a tender document and what you need to be aware of, what you should do to look for those mandatory criteria, how to respond. Um, we partner with different groups to offer seminars on professional services, so supplying professional services to government, on security clearance process, and then um, our office has developed what we consider a masterclass, which is a next level in the bidding process. And so we can offer that kind of on an as-request basis really to anyone who gets a group of five to maybe 20 people together. And we have one for services and one for goods. So we've developed mock tenders. Uh, goods is for the purchase of dogs for the RCMP. And for services, it's um, Library and Archives has recently experienced some paranormal activity. And so we're looking for Ghostbusters um, to, to come in and assist or different solutions to, to help Library and Archives with the paranormal activity that they're experiencing. So we, we flip the process on to you as a company and we make you the evaluator. And you see how it becomes difficult or how those little things where I was saying just answer the question, really you just want someone to answer the question because when they provide more detail, it gets more complicated and you don't know how to rate them. Tess, that, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds way too cool for government, I have to say. I would not imagine you guys would be putting on seminars about Ghostbusters. I love the dogs too, because who wouldn't love to learn about something while talking about dogs? I, I think those are both fantastic ideas. Uh, and are you having these seminars often? Like, is there a schedule of these seminars at all? Our normal seminars are offered... I mean, last time I checked, because now everything's national, kind of, um, and we're not doing them in person, so every OSME across the country is offering these. Um, I would venture to say we have at least three to four a week that we offer through, through various channels. The masterclass we don't post as a public offering yet, um, but we do it as often as as requested and we have different associations or organizations coming to us to request that so we've run probably about 10 masterclass uh, sessions in total and when we were able to do things in person and kind of control who joined in we were doing those on every other month basis that's great so it's not necessarily a calendar you have up um, is there anything up on your website regarding seminars or can we just put maybe a link under the podcast to your office and people can reach out, businesses can reach out to you? We have both. You can put a link to like all our national regional contact information. Um, and we also do have an events calendar on buy and sell. It just won't have the masterclass 
Got it. Listed. Listed on there, that's like, but once someone contacts us, if even if it's two people and they want us to deliver it for them, then, then we'll do that. I remember taking one of the buy and sell webinars and I will tell you a hundred percent, I'm so excited about doing this Ghostbusters like mock thing just because that other webinar was on and there were like audio issues and then people didn't really understand something and then they would ask the question again. And I ended up just walking away from my laptop and just recording the whole thing on an audio and it was really hard to understand. So I love that the government is being creative and innovative and being able to share a different perspective um, from the perspective of almost the person who marks the test. Like this is why you need to have what you have in there. So I love that. And and just a little tip, that's gonna be one of the episodes that we are going to be going through as a group um, to go through one of these exercises. So um, if you're interested in that, please join us for the next one. Tess, thank you so much. We're going to put your contact information under the podcast so that people can reach out to you as well as your department. And we look forward to having um, our listeners join us for the next couple that uh, um, episodes that we'll cover more procurement-related best practices. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for having me. There sure is a lot to know about government procurement, though when successful, can separate your business from your competitors especially with the Government of Canada as a customer of yours. We hope you enjoyed this episode and captured some best practices and tips when exploring government bids. Join us for our next episode where Tess returns and turns the tables on us by putting us through a unique exercise that involves bid reviews and scoring. Maybe you know someone who could benefit from this podcast. Please share it with your business community and perhaps it could give an entrepreneur some serenity now. We hope you enjoyed this episode and picked up some good tips and best practices that would benefit your entrepreneurial journey. Remember, none of the content in this podcast should be relied upon as standard legal or business advice. Always consult a professional for your specific business.